Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Your hosts, Nick Wagner and Joshua Johnson, have been described as not blowhards. Join them as they discuss the matters at the heart of the Dynasty community. From rookie advice to trade analysis, plant your flag here. This is the Dynasty Pulse, presented by DynastyFootballWarehouse.com. That's right. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick. Hail to the Redskins writer. Nick, what's up, buddy? Oh, not much, Josh. Just uh, feeling lucky to have gotten to witness the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, phenomenal comeback. I'm doing great. Um, I think no team had ever... Teams were 93-0 and when they had a 19-point lead or more going into the fourth quarter in the playoffs. And no team's ever come back from more than 10 points in the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, like I said before we started here, Nick, it just happened so fast, too. It was just like, bam, all of a sudden they were back into it. So, uh, uh, you know, you can, you can blame the offense. You can say it was a great comeback. You can say it was an epic collapse. What, what do you think? I mean, I, I just felt like it all just happened so fast. Um, I, obviously, the big thing is Atlanta should have ran the ball more. Five minutes left in the game. Devontae Freeman gets carry number 10. They had four rushing attempts, I believe, in the second half. Really, when you're leading by 18 points? Uh, what do you think? Yeah, that is a little bit questionable, definitely. Um, you, you know, to me, the way I felt like when, when Atlanta was dominating early on, it felt to me like the biggest reason was how well they were tackling. It seemed like the first guy to get there was either taking down the ball carrier or holding him up for others to try to strip the ball out. Now, uh, last week we uh, talked a little bit about how we expected New England to dominate the time of possession to limit the number of chances for Atlanta's defense, and they did just that, holding the ball for over 40 minutes in the game. And not only did that keep the ball out of Matt Ryan's hands, but when a defense is on the field for as long as the Falcons were, they're bound to just get worn out. And I know I've seen some conspiracy theorists uh, grumbling that the fix was in for New England, but I just think Atlanta's defense was too tired at the end of the game to stop the greatest quarterback of all time from winning his fifth Super Bowl. Yeah, I think the stat was 99 plays they ran. Uh, you know, most most NFL games, each team I would say has between 50 and 70 plays. So when your team is out there for 99 plays, even if you're the best defense in the league, you're going to eventually get exposed and, like you said, get tired. So uh, yeah, it was I. You know, after the pick six, you know, it was pretty hard to overcome that emotionally. But I just felt like you know experience took over in the second half for New England and you know they just never stopped never stopped fighting and that's that made it all worth it you know even even after a, a fluky miss extra point on a bad snap you know it, it just seemed they just were never going to stop and here here we have it just a phenomenal you know people want to call it the greatest Super Bowl ever and I, I don't know I mean I will call it the greatest comeback ever probably in in all of the you know, all of the sports, really. I mean, I can't imagine coming 
coming back from that far down with that but many time left. But I I don't know if it was the greatest Super Bowl ever. What do you think? No, to me, to be the, the the greatest Super Bowl ever, it would have had been competitive the whole way, and it really wasn't until uh, in the end of the third quarter is when it started finally getting interesting. But yeah, you're right, definitely best comeback ever. Yeah, my son had a couple friends over to watch the game, and they basically called their parents to have them come get him at halftime because it, it looked like it was over. And I, and I I joked with one of the dads when they picked him up as. As New England scored their first touchdown, I said, "Oh, comeback's on." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, we'll see." And we both just kind of laughed. And uh, wow, uh, obviously, my son is a Patriots fan. He was ecstatic. I think he 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 basically fell to his knees in tears when they scored to get within two before that second two point conversion. It was it was phenomenal. You have two of probably the greatest catches I've ever seen. Obviously, the Edelman one's getting all the press because of the moment, but uh, you know, Atlanta wasted a beautiful catch by Julio Jones. Just awesome getting his feet in bounds. Uh, it, you know, they wasted that by getting getting thrown out of field goal position, but uh, some some absolutely great plays. We'll be seeing that Edelman one, and hopefully that Julio one for a long time, too, don't you think? Oh, definitely. The, the the Julio Jones is probably going to get lost over the course of time just because the Falcons didn't win, but it was a fantastic catch. He proved he's definitely one of the top two receivers, if not the best receiver in the NFL. And, yeah, that Edelman catch was just something else, wasn't it? And got to give the rest, uh, you know, referees get a lot of criticism for getting things wrong. They actually got that call right on the field. That's pretty impressive to me. You know, I don't know. I felt like if that is – not a New England Patriot or not a superstar wide receiver. I don't know if they give that to him. I don't know. Maybe that's the wrong way to think. You know, you look at the end of that play, and Edelman clearly does have the ball in his hands. Excuse me. We won our first hockey game last night, so I really can't talk today. Uh, (laughs) Clearly has the ball in his hands, and then the ball hits the ground. I, I don't know. I've seen that called not a catch before that type of that type of play. I mean, I think it was a catch, but I think there could have been I could have seen seen him call it no catch. So you know what I'm talking about, Nick? He has the ball, you know, after it kind of flips around, he has the ball and then the ball hits the ground and then he pulls it in. I, I don't know. I see I've seen that not call that kind of instance not called a catch before, don't you think? I don't know. To me, it seemed like the ball did hit the ground, but it never moved when it hit the ground. He had complete control of it. So, yeah, I, I agree with the ruling. Yeah, yeah. still a phenomenal play. Um, uh, any, you know, I think a lot of people want to point to the strip sack being a big turning point. That obviously was a huge turning point, but how about New England just changing the complexion of their offense after the uh, the blunt fumble? That that was That was pretty <laughs> – that was pretty big, and even though it didn't seem like that was gonna gonna help things, because then the Falcons rattled off 21 points. But uh, I don't. Know. What? Any any other thoughts there before we move on, Nick? Uh, just two real quick things uh, on the New England side. Uh, leave it to Bill Belichick and company to have a guy like James White going out and score three touchdowns. I'm sure there's some owners of James White in best ball leagues that were just pulling their hair out seeing that. Cause it's never gonna happen <laughs> in the regular season. And then on the Atlanta side, it's too bad that the Falcons uh, wasted the great game that Grady Jarrett had, just putting pressure on Brady all game long, three sacks and five tackles. Fantastic game that he uh, performance that he had in the Super Bowl. 
Yeah, Mark brought him up last week, and I I was in agreement. He was a big player, but, you know, the more that I think about it, I think he was uh, had such a big game because I think New England's main focus was not letting Vic Beasley beat them, and he I don't think Beasley did a thing in that game. They, they thoroughly took him out of the game plan, which – even though Brady was under pressure a lot, that that was I think it actually could have been uh, worse. Uh, we talked extensively about how Brady or uh, about the uh, record for passing yards in a Super Bowl, and Brady smashed that record. I believe the number he threw for was four sixty six. The old record was by Kurt Warner against New England, ironically four fourteen. Maybe it wasn't against New England, but um, and Brady, you know, people wanted to say maybe White should have been the MVP. Brady completed 42 passes in the Super Bowl. I think, like, the NFL record in a game is somewhere like 45, 48, something like that. So 42 passes, almost 70 pass attempts. Uh, I think he had 70 dropbacks. So, uh, yeah, it, even though he didn't score, you know, throw for five touchdowns, uh, it was large. It, just, it didn't seem like he threw for that many yards, but I want to know what his longest completion was in the game. But it was certainly a good uh, – that's a great comeback. There's nothing, there's nothing we can really all say about it. Uh, Chuck is going to stop by later on, probably about 35 minutes, to uh, discuss how we uh, how the money should be distributed from all the money. Of course, we won Super Bowl Sunday, Nick. Um, uh, any other thoughts there before we move on to the Hall of Fame reaction? Uh, no, just that uh, I don't think there's an argument now that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. Yeah, 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 pretty pretty set, pretty set in that uh, thing. And, you know, when it's all said and done, he might have two more rings. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that would be surprising <laughs> anybody. I mean, I, I think you could just give him one right now just because if he plays for three three or five more, even if he plays for three more years, I think we could almost guarantee he's got, a, he's got another ring before he's said and done. So, yeah. Uh, Hall of Fame reaction. Of course, the big one that people have been debating all over the place uh, since the announcement is uh, is uh, T.O., and I agree. I mean, he, he should get in. What, what he did on the field is absolutely phenomenal. I think he's second all-time in receiving yards, fifth all-time in receiving touchdowns. I mean, that that those two stats alone, I mean, should should get him in. What, what were your thoughts there? Well, the guys that did get in, LaDainian Tomlinson, Terrell Davis, Kurt Warner, Morton Anderson, Jason Taylor, Jerry Jones, and Kenny Easley. Um, you know, Davis and Warner both were kind of borderline guys to me. I kind of felt like they maybe should have had to wait another couple of years to get in, D- deserving to be in there. I just thought maybe this was a little bit early. Uh, and personally, I don't really understand voting in owners like Jerry Jones. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure Jerry would have zero Super Bowl <laughs> rings without Jimmy Johnson, who is still waiting to get in. So I, I definitely don't understand that. Uh, a little bit surprised that Jason Taylor is a first ballot guy. You know, again, deserves to be in there. Just thought maybe it was a little bit early. Uh, LT, obviously no question, deserves to be in, as does the NFL's all-time leading scorer, Morton Anderson. Now, hopefully that Kenny Easley is in. Other safeties will be soon to follow, Steve Atwater being my first choice. And But, you know, really, it, to me, at some point, I think they have to just up the number of inductees. There's no reason that players like Roger Craig, Steve Atwater, Clay Matthews, Joe Jacoby, and the offensive coordinator, Don Coryell, and, of course, like you mentioned, Terrell Owens, uh, there's no reason that these guys shouldn't be in there yet. Uh, but, you know, I've long thought that the NFL Hall of Fame induction process to be a highly flawed deal. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, Tio gets in. Obviously, um, I think on the merits of just his 2,000-yard season alone, Terrell Davis um, probably deserved it. Um, you know, Kurt Warner was a fringe guy, but he took two different teams to the Super Bowl. Uh, and he's been to three Super Bowls. That's that's pretty phenomenal. He and he's been to three Super Bowls, and he and until Sunday he had the top three passing performances in Super Bowl history. So, um, yeah, Ladainian Tomlinson, yeah, without question deserves to be there. Um, Jason Taylor, I did think it was a little surprising that he got in uh, right away. Um, and yeah, and Morton Morton Anderson, yeah, all time leading scorer. It took it took it took a while. I think he's been on the ballot for some time. I, I but I I don't disagree with that. You know, and I think what's the only thing, Nick. You know, Jerry brought those people in. He brought, and I think that's why he's getting it. I don't, I don't necessarily get it either, but uh, you know, and as much as he wants to take credit for it, <laughs> eventually you have to give him, give him some credit for hiring, hiring those people, right? Well, he brought Jimmy Johnson in, but he also chased him out. So uh, again, I, he, if you're going to put him in, let Jimmy Johnson get in before Jerry Jones. That, 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 that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, did they win one with Switzer, or did, Jerry, did Jimmy win all three of them? I believe they won one with Switzer, but it was with Jimmy's team. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, just like Gruden won with Dungy's team and so on, so on and so forth. But anyway, uh, yeah, I don't know. Not Obviously, there's more people that I would put in. in. But uh, speaking of flawed – Flood systems. Uh, any reaction to any of the NFL awards, Nick? Um, not a whole lot. I, I wasn't really surprised by any of them. Uh, I had a few surprises, I guess. Um, first of all, uh, Jason Garrett, Coach of the Year. I, I don't know. It's not like he had the balls to replace Dak with Romo just on the whim. I mean, he's bro- Dak only came in there because of the injury, which say what you will. And then, and then in turn, Dak gets the rookie of the year. Really? I mean, Dak does not do what he does if it's not for Ezekiel Elliott. Don't you think, Nick? I mean, I think Ross Tucker pointed out Ezekiel Elliott got more MVP votes than Dak Prescott, but Dak Prescott won rookie of the year. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, Zeke should have been Rookie of the Year, but, you know, with the NFL and the media voters, quarterbacks definitely have the upper hand when it comes to awards like that. Uh, As far as Jason Garrett goes, I I don't have a problem with him winning Coach of the Year. I mean, you look at how bad the Cowboys were last season, what they went four or five games, I think, being able to turn that team around to being a division champion, going, I think, 13-3, and if I'm not mistaken, with a rookie quarterback and rookie running back. You know, even though he wasn't the one to pull the trigger on the uh, Dak Prescott-Tony Romo switch, he was forced into that, I, I still think he did a fantastic job there with that team this season. Yeah, and I think the thing with the rookie quarterbacks is we don't see rookie quarterbacks come in every year and be successful. It's it's pretty hard to see a rookie quarterback come in and have a even a 500 record. If you look at Derek Carr, Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, you know those guys had to fight in you know, a year two. To, to get to that, and then year three, hopefully, get past that. So, um, I think that's probably why. But I just I felt like 
I felt the same way, like I said before, when uh, RG3 won it. I thought Alfred Morris was more deserving because RG3 was more effective because of Alfred Morris. But, uh, but I can – well, a lot of Cowboys talk, Nick. You, seem, you seemed okay with it besides Jerry Jones. But uh, uh, um, just a question I wanted to throw out there for you. Obviously, we've talked a lot about this rookie tight end class being really nice. And, and O.J. Howard is certainly head and shoulders the uh, the number one guy. Everything is pointing up for him. He's he he wow he wowed everybody at Senior Bowl week. Um, probably going to have a nice combine. Seems to be the complete package. Uh, just questioning: Is there an NFL team that doesn't want O.J. Howard? Can any NFL team like honestly make an argument for not drafting him? The the only argument that I can think of is that tight ends do take two to three years to develop. So if you're a team that's really desperate for a tight end and also trying to win the Super Bowl this next season, that would be like the only situation where I wouldn't want a guy like O.J. Howard. Well, and I think I think these Alabama guys come a little bit more prepared. And I know we've seen some fail. You know, some of the running backs have, have totally flopped. But, you know, O.J. Howard already knows what to do in the blocking game. And, you know, the only team that I could really see that has an argument maybe not to take him, because he's going to be a first-round pick, is probably Kansas City because they have Travis Kelsey. But even still, can you imagine O.J. Howard and Travis Kelsey on on the field at the same time, especially in that short intermediate passing game that Kansas City loves to do? I mean, that would be unstoppable. I would trade trade all I could for Chris Conley because he would just be catching Kenny Stills balls all the way down the field. So I don't know. I, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up, but I don't know. You know, we always talk about these first, these potential first round dynasty picks and how landing spots going to be huge. I don't know if it really matters for, for OJ Howard. And, and I, Nick, you know, brings up the very valid point where tight ends take two or three years to develop, but I, I think I think Howard could have a, a year very similar to, uh, to to the one Hunter Henry had for San Diego, and may, potentially a little bit better because there I think he is just coming into the NFL so prepared. Don't you think, Nick? Yeah, definitely. And you know, it's not that rookie tight ends never contribute. You know, Austin Hooper uh, as the season progressed for Atlanta, I was catching some some balls too. But yeah, he he does probably come off a little more polished than most rookie tight ends. You're definitely correct there. Yeah, and I think the one major flaw with him is the lack of college production. I mean, his college production would be you know like one solid NFL year for for a tight end or a potentially wide receiver one. That's the whole of his four years. But I just think Alabama really didn't need him to be dominant. And every time they called upon him to to make a big play, he seemingly did. So, yeah, pretty, pretty excited about uh, his future. And I'm, I, I don't I – don't, I have some early picks and then I have some really late picks. I, I, it's, I think I'm going to miss out on my O.J. Howard shares, but uh, – We'll see. Maybe maybe he'll slip to the end of end of the first round where I'm picking there, and I can I can make him. Uh, got some dynasty trade analysis here for you, Nick. Um, but you did remind me I had a trivia question, and maybe maybe you saw the answer, maybe you didn't. But I tweeted it out during the Super Bowl. I got thinking. 
when Austin Hooper dropped a touchdown pass. I wonder when the last time a rookie has scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl. And then, of course, Austin Hooper scored a touchdown pass. So then I – and this isn't official. This is just me looking back through box scores of all the Super Bowls. But do you know the last rookie to score – not a rookie tight end, but the last rookie to score a touchdown in a Super Bowl? I have absolutely no idea. Um, I think it was Super Bowl forty. One, uh, Devin Hester, kickoff kickoff return for the, for Chicago to to start that game. That was the last time. That was it was almost ten years ago. That that just surprised me that you had to I had to flip back that far to find a to find a rookie tight end. Uh, excuse me, a rookie to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. So I just thought I'd thought I'd throw that out there. Interesting of note. Uh, let's do some Dynasty Trade Analysis here. It's time for Dynasty Trade Analysis. Um, I do want to remind everybody that DFW, just because the offseason is in full swing, doesn't mean that we're not pumping out articles. We have some rookie profiles rolling out there. Uh, Brian Hawks did a phenomenal job getting these uh, running back grids for every team going. We did the NFC last weekend. We got the AFC coming up this weekend. Uh, he also had Joe Mixon drop today. We had Mike Williams the day before that. So, yeah, we gotta, we're getting a lot of the main guys out of the way, and we'll go deeper as we get into the uh, the process and post-senior post bowl. So make sure you're checking that out. Got some really good stuff really good stuff coming coming to you next couple of weeks, especially. Got Corey Davis coming to you on Valentine's Day. So uh, happy Valentine's Day. Love DFW. Um, Dynasty trade analysis. Uh, just three of them today. Uh, what do you think about Allen Robinson? Sammy Watkins and Sammy Watkins for Mike Evans, 2017 second, and a 2017 third. This is from DFW48. Well, I think the side that picked up Allen Robinson and Sammy Watkins has more upside. I mean, you got two stud receivers compared to just one in Mike Evans, but I still prefer the side with Mike Evans. I just feel he's a safer bet for production than either Watkins or uh, Robinson. And then plus getting an extra second and third round pick on top of that, I think that's just gravy. So got to go with the Mike Evans side on this one. Yeah, I can understand how this deal doesn't get done with the second and third round pick, but I mean, you look at the year Robinson had and, you know, obviously had trouble staying on the field. Yeah, you, you got to definitely lead the Mike Evans side. Um, and uh, you know, we've seen a, a handful of Mike Evans trades come, and it, it'd be interesting to go back and just look at Mike Evans trades. But uh, yeah, I, I I I like like you said, he's just certainly certainly the safer player there. Um, Melvin Gordon for Jordan Howard and pick one point. Four nine again. FW forty eight. Um, this is the the extra pick that the toilet bowl winner gets. He gets an extra pick at the end of the first round. So Jordan Howard and one point four nine for Melvin Gordon. What do you think? There? 
I think I'd give a slight edge to Melvin Gordon. I, like, I like Jordan Howard. I do think he's going to be a productive running back moving forward, but the Bears did not invest the sort of draft capital to draft him as the Chargers did in Melvin Gordon, so I just think that Gordon's job is safer and in less jeopardy of uh, becoming a timeshare sort of situation. So, you know, to trade away Howard and the very last pick, 1.49 in the first round, I think that's fair to pick up a guy who's going to be a safer bet moving forward in Melvin Gordon, although I do like both players. Yeah, I don't know. I we'll see. Uh, I wonder with the rookie quarterback coming in potentially for Chicago. I wonder if Howard might be safer for a couple more years. Obviously, he got you know came into the league one year less than Gordon. Gordon had the the kind of struggles his rookie year and had awesome year last year, but Philip Rivers is not going to be there. You know. Maybe not even three years from now. So I, I would, I don't know. I kind of like, I kind of like the Jordan Howard side, especially with the uh, the extra pick, and um, you know, you can potentially get a a decent wide receiver too there, and a little bit younger player there in Jordan Howard. So I, I don't know. I think I would lean that side. Uh, here's one I don't get. This isn't necessarily from an expert league. Uh, Laquan Treadwell and three point zero five. Excuse me, Laquan tried to 3.05 and 4.05 for Martavius Bryant, 2.03 and 5.03. What are your thoughts there? My thoughts, I think I understand both sides. Uh, the good person unloading Laquan Treadwell saw what he did as a rookie, absolutely nothing. I uh, just wanted to get rid of him. The side that had Martavis Bryant saw him be suspended for a full year, and knowing the history of guys who were suspended for a whole year, not very, usually being very productive when and if they ever come back. So I understand why both sides wanted to unload these players. I think I would side with Laquan Treadwell just because, like I said, um, it's been a long time since we've seen a guy be suspended for a year and make any sort of impact once he got back on the field. So the fact that Treadwell was a rookie, maybe that's, you know, maybe it was just a steep learning curve coming from, uh, from Old Miss. So I would side with Treadwell, but really neither of these guys are guys that I'm looking to go out and acquire. Yeah, I could understand getting rid of uh, Treadwell, but why? <laughs> why for Martavius Bryant? <laughs> it's just like it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. It's not like you're gaining anything and Pittsburgh's been very clear that they are just kind of moving forward they're really not expecting him anything out of him and what they get whatever they get out of him great but they're really not expecting a whole lot out of him so I I just don't get if you're going to unload Treadwell why, why are you doing it for a guy and maybe this deal doesn't get done if that's the case but uh, I don't know you'll gain in a, a, a round Getting you know giving up a third and a fourth for a second, so maybe maybe that's the motivation behind it. But uh, uh, I just not don't understand it. Um, I forgot to tease this at the beginning of the show, but it is the headline, so hopefully people know I'm listening. Uh, it's time for Leonard Fournette versus Dalvin Cook, Nick. Um, the two you know two popular names at the top of rookie drafts right now. Uh, Nick had the chance to go first, so uh, I will play the music clip and then I will let him go. Short clip. (laughs) 
Listen, I know it's tough if you got that number one pick. Ever since Leonard Fournette was a freshman, he's been anointed as the next great running back, almost in the same fashion as Andrew Luck at the quarterback position a few years back. So if you're sitting at the top of the draft, you may feel that you have no choice but to take him. But I actually feel that Dalvin Cook brings a little more to the table, both in upside and security. You know, many times when a person is a size-slash-speed athletic freak like Fournette, their ligaments and tendons and all the other little pieces that comprise joints are unable to deal with the strain of running, cutting, and planting with all that extra weight. And we may have already seen the beginnings of that with Fournette, as he injured his ankle in the preseason this last year and never looked the same, and also forced him to miss a number of games in 2016. Dalvin Cook, at nearly 20 pounds lighter, but still a respectable 213 pounds, doesn't come with those injury concerns and has, like Fournette, been productive from day one in college, rushing for 1,008 yards, 1,691 yards, and 1,765 yards over the last three years. But Cook's ability to contribute in the passing game is what really gives him the edge over Fournette in my eyes. Cook's hands and route running are so good that some scouts believe he could even be used as a slot wide receiver on third downs. Uh, One final thing to keep in mind when evaluating these two phenomenal runners, as Josh so graciously pointed out to me the other day, Fournette did most of his damage at LSU running out of the I formation behind a fullback. You know, if this were 1993, that wouldn't be a concern at all. But in today's NFL, I think that is a red flag, similar to quarterbacks who only operate out of the shotgun formation in college. According to an October article by Dom Consento of Vice Sports, in 2015, Mike Tolbert was the top fullback in the NFL by snap count percentage with 38.3%. And as of October 10th, 2016, 14 teams in the NFL did not have a fullback on the roster. That could make for a rough transition <laughs> to pro-style offenses. Josh, what do you got? Why do I give you advice? I don't why. <laughs> <laughs> that's just one thing that stood out to me right away, even last thing when I was watching film on him. It's just like that's that's going to be interesting to see how they, how they do that. But, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna defend uh, Fournette now. So uh, I think much like Ezekiel Elliott in 2016, Fournette appears destined to be a, a, one of the top dynasty picks. Um, true power back converts power to speed like an elite like an elite pass rusher. I really. I don't think I've ever seen that out of a running back. He looks sometimes looks like a pass rusher when he's when he's going power to speed. I think he's a true power back, phenomenal balance that charge, phenomenal balance and charge that makes it very difficult for just one defender to stop him. Fairly soft hands and t- tender feet do make him multi-dimensional. Just because he didn't catch a lot of passes doesn't mean that he can't do that if if asked. He turns the corner with explosion and thrust and a thirst for chunk for chunks of yardage. A transformational player who who applies an Adrian Peterson like creativity to a Bo Jackson like Thunder. He's not not as sexy as Cook, but I think he might be safer in the long run. Uh Cook did have uh Cook is an assumed an assumed dual threat because he had 33 receptions his junior season with 4.8 yards per average, which is pretty awesome in 2016. But that was with a freshman quarterback who 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 leaned on him, leaned on Cook for 321 touches. Also, Cook with Cook almost certainly being drafted in the first round, I imagine his pro team will have him 
no, not necessarily want to use him on all three downs and want because they want to protect their investment there. Fournette has his share of injuries, but at least he didn't touch the ball 321 times in 2016 or play in a meaningless bowl game. Uh, he did. He recognized what he needed to do to to come to the NFL level healthy, and, and I think it was a smart decision for his, on his part. Cook also has been involved in two assault cases, which he has been officially found not guilty in some, and they have miraculously gone miraculously gone away. Uh, much like we've seen with other instances like this, the lack of videotape means all is essentially forgotten. And it'll be interesting to see if if Cook is invited to the NFL Combine because their rule is uh, any any domestic violence you are not allowed to come to the NFL Combine. Now, since he was exonerated, I think that's the right term, uh, may, he could potentially get invited, but they've already made it clear that Jill Mixon with the video is not. So that's just something to keep in mind there with Cook. And, I, and again, my, from my scouting notes on Cook, I think he does run a little stiff in the waist and shoulders. I mean, obviously he's a phenomenal talent. He's gained a, a, a ton of yards, but uh, it takes a, a special kind of wiggle to be successful at the NFL level. So I, that's a few, a few concerns for me. And like I said, you know, like with uh, Cook in the passing yards, I probably didn't say that very well. He had a freshman quarterback that really needed to lean on him. And so I think that number was inflated. He, I think he had like twice as many receptions last year as he's, as he's had in any season prior to that. So I think that's more of a reflection on the team and having to lean on him. Granted, he, he, he answered the bell when they leaned on him, but I'm not, uh, I'm not ready to call him a dual, a full, full on dual threat yet. Any rebuttal there, Nick? Uh, a lot of good points there, especially with the off the field concerns with cook. Uh, the one concern that you had that uh, he might not be a three down back in the NFL. Uh, I think as long as you're in a PPR league, I don't think I would downgrade him for that because I think he'll catch enough passes to uh, compensate for maybe not being on the field every single play. Yeah. And, and that's not that I don't think he's going to catch any passes. I just think, I think there's, there'll be certain instances where, where he will come off just just to uh, just to save. You, you, you want to think that a team drafts a guy in the first round to you know to run him like hell for three years, and may, and maybe that's what they they would ultimately want to do. But I do think some NFL teams will want to protect their investment, and and even though he's not a liability in pass pro, maybe maybe they will prefer to have somebody else do that. So I think maybe. He's he's not a he's not a fifty reception guy, so and I'm sure I could eat, eat those words a year from now, but uh, maybe not maybe not quite yet because you, you know a lot of these rookie quarterbacks are going to come in not named Cook and Fournette and probably be third down type of backs rookie running backs excuse me I think as quarterbacks uh, I just don't I feel like these guys are going to be more leaned on as two down early down type of players. So I I think it is a pretty even line, and you really just really have to weigh all the pros and cons yourself if you if you're picking picking that top pick, or you can trade that top pick for the second pick and maybe get a little change and let that decision be made for you. I I did that last year when I didn't want to take uh, didn't want to choose between Corey Coleman and uh, Josh Doxson, and I traded back and got Sterling Shepard. So uh, and I got another pick and got Devontae Booker. So. That's that's also a possibility. But anyway, also now, uh, uh, any more thoughts there on that matter, Nick? 
Uh, just so you brought up a great point, trading back is never a bad idea. Especially especially if it's that top pick because you can, you can get, you know, people will give, you know, you can get another first and a player, you know, even if it's a, a wide receiver, two or three, why not? Uh, time for four our guests. Today we're gonna to look at Isaiah Crowell. It's time for four or again. Okay, uh, I have the four side, so I will go first here on Isaiah Crowell. The most impressive stat I've seen, I thought, from Crowell this past season was that he improved his yards per carry from 2015 to 2016 by one whole yard. This was with a depleted O-line on a 1-15 team there, Nick. What do you think? That's true, but... uh... He doesn't score a lot of touchdowns. Um, you know, pretty f- uh, few Browns players do score a lot of touchdowns, and Crowell's no different. <laughs> in the second half of the season, he only had two scores, and both of those came in the same game. So definitely left you wanting as far as, uh, as, far as getting in the end zone. Okay. Well, I do, I do feel, yeah, I think he gets disrespected because he is the Cleveland starter. But he is a starter, and he hasn't missed a game in his career. Uh, he might actually end up fetching something something as he is a restricted free agent and he just turned 24 so I think I think they would have to Cleveland I'm not up on the restricted free agent thing officially but I believe Cleveland would have to put a draft round tender on him Nick I think that's how it works so he he could potentially be traded as as Cleveland doesn't really owe him anything and I Oakland, Oakland Raiders could potentially be in the running back market. I would, I would welcome a 24-year-old rookie with, excuse me, a 24-year-old player with three years of experience in a heartbeat, especially a guy that I believe that could do some damage between the tackles. Nick. Well, you're right. If he were to go to a different team, I think this would be a completely different dilemma. Um, or completely different uh, for or against argument. But if he does stay with the Browns, which normally I think restricted free agents tend to stay with their teams because teams place a high enough uh, draft tender on them that other teams don't want to give it up. Um, You know, when he's with the Browns, he only sees work when Cleveland is still in games, which is unreliable at best. Uh, There was five times in 2016 where Crowell had under 10 carries, and he had under 30 rushing yards in seven games. That's too boomer bust for my taste. Okay. Uh, set a career high in receptions with 40 in 2016. Previous high, just 19. And this was in an offense that had Duke Johnson catch 53 balls. So maybe he's not a liability when this team is down, Nick. Well, you're right. He's not a liability in the passing game. He does have the ability to catch passes, 40 balls this year, but that was double his previous high. And like you mentioned, fellow running back Duke Johnson is a superior receiving threat. So I'd be pretty surprised to see him get that 40 catches again in 2017. Um, Sorry, I helped Brian out with these awesome articles. I just wanted to see his... Yeah, he averaged 15 touches per game. Not bad. Uh, that's not one of my points. But average 15 touches per game, over 15 touches per game. I should say. Uh, 
15.7 to be exact. Uh, I do think his va- the thing to look at is his value is down right now. Uh, startup value was pretty late compared to any other starting running back, and I think because of this of this 2017 running back class and the 2018 running back class, his value is going to stay down. So he's going to be a super value pick for the next couple of years, even if he remains in Cleveland as the starter. Well, for as long as he does remain the starter in Cleveland, you know, at 5'11", 225 pounds, Crowell is a big, bruising power back who has never missed a game despite having nearly 600 touches in three seasons. And while that sounds good on the surface, I have to believe that his style virtually guarantees that he's going to get hurt and start to wear down at some point. I mean, the human body can only withstand so much punishment. You look at the average career for a running back three and a half years, he's pretty much there minus a half year. So i I, (laughs) got to think he's going to start to wear down at some point. Did you say 225, right? Yeah, yeah. I was look. I saw that. After and I, 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 I did. I did. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I did see one site had him listed about 20 pounds lighter, but I went with the two yeah. out of three sites that I checked had him at 225, so that's the number I went with. Yeah, I saw that unnamed site too had him listed at. 190 pounds. I'm just like, there's no way that guy's 190 pounds. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I thought, uh, I thought, yeah, I thought, I thought you're. Let's say he's somewhere in the middle. But uh, I hear what you're saying with the three years experience. But he's only 24, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I like his, I like his gusto. I think he's, I think he's got a future. Hopefully, it's uh, not in Cleveland. Cleveland News says the easy choice is to re-sign Jose Crowell, but will they? Um, I mean, I think because he hasn't been a part of this this new regime, I think I think that's that that could be good, I mean, good things for him. And if you're holding, if you have him on a dynasty thing roster, I would certainly recommend holding on to him. Uh, it is time for best number fifty, Nick. Um, it's going to be a short conversation. I feel I, I almost feel like it's disrespecting the number one if we start to talk about these other guys. What do you think? <laughs> well, you're right, and I kind of had the same feeling when uh, doing my research. Number 50 is an interesting number. There's a lot of good players, but not many greats. One of those good players is former uh, Raiders center Dave Dalby, who played in Oakland and L.A. from 1972 through 1985. He only went to one Pro Bowl, but he did win three Super Bowls and helped pave the way for Marcus Allen, among others. Uh, Linebacker Dwayne Beckett is another good player, over 100 tackles for the Colts every year from 1985 through 1991, earning one Pro Bowl berth in 1987. Those two are pretty typical of many of the top number 50s. Uh, Mike Vrabel, Larry Foote, A.J. Hawk, uh, some current players like K.J. Wright and Jarrell Freeman, some very solid players that most teams would love to have, but it would be a big time stretch to call them great. So I'm going to narrow it down to two earlier than most lists. Uh, First off, current uh, Kansas City linebacker and 2014 NFL sack leader Justin Houston, who made four consecutive Pro Bowls from 2012 through 2015. Injuries have limited him over the last two seasons, but having just turned 28, he could still have some solid years left. Probably not going to get 22 sacks in a season again, though. Now that brings us to 
inarguably the best number 50 of all time. You know, when younger fans think of an intense middle linebacker, Ray Lewis, of course, comes to mind. But before Ray Lewis was Chicago middle linebacker Mike Singletary, who started 172 games over 12 years in Chicago from 1981 through 1992, going to the Pro Bowl in each of his final 10 seasons. And, of course, he was the heart and soul of that 1985 Bears defense, one of the best units of all time. Uh, Eight-time All-Pro, two-time Defensive Player of the Year, Hall of Fame Class of 1988, nearly 1,500 tackles, and he only missed two games in 12 seasons. You know, the thing I remember most about him was playing with those eyes so wide open that he looked like an absolutely <laughs> insane person out there. You know, of course, he'd probably tell you that it was to help him see, be- see the field better, but the intimida- intimidation factor was undeniable. There's no doubt about it. Mike Singletary is the top number 50 of all time. And Josh will have to ask Chuck about any memories he has of Singletary since Chuck's a Bears fan. Yeah, yeah, we, we definitely need to. Uh, I hear what you're saying, those eyes. I mean, if you – if you think Chicago Bears history and you don't think like obviously Walter Payton and then you think you have to think those eyes. I mean, just, I mean, and we're both, you know, a certain age to what we were lucky enough to grow up watching him just continue it to be this dominant force. And they, they don't have like tackle numbers there, but I, I think you could conservatively give him 120 tackles most of years in his prime. And, you know, if people want to knock him because Oh, he played on a great defense. That defense is not that great without him in the middle. I mean, there's just no way around it. And there's been some good linebackers before him. You know, Mad Dog, Mike Curtis, of course, Dick Buttkiss, Ray Nitschke, you know, just, just, just to name a few. But there, there is, yeah, Singletary. I mean, you, you start thinking about who's the middle linebacker for the best the best middle linebacker of all time when you're making an all-time defensive team. Singletary is is, is always going to be on that list. Uh, so, yeah, just 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 a phenomenal talent. I'd say. I, I, you could conserve, like I said, conservatively give him 120 tackles per year if you, if, if the stats were kept back then. Um, one more guy, Jeff Simeon, played for the Vikings for for uh, for a dozen years, played in 156 games. But uh, yeah, like I said, it's a, it almost just pales in comparison to to Singletary. Head, head and shoulders, the best number 50. And can you believe, Nick, if we took a couple breaks from this during uh, during the Super Bowl festivities to not do this list? Can you believe if we could have actually done number 51 when we had the Super Bowl roundtable for Super Bowl 51. I could have timed that perfectly, and I screwed it up. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we, will, we will talk number 51 next week, and more than likely another Bears middle linebacker will, will join that discussion. So, uh, But Chuck is on the phone. Chuck, are you there? Yeah, guys, hang on just a second. Take off speaker right. there. How's it going? Good, good. Uh, we were just talking about Mike Singletary being the number, the best number fifty of all time. You have any Singletary memories for us? Um, just, I mean, the only one that sticks out for me is uh, just the the, the close up of his eyes, and uh, <laughs> yeah. how they kept uh, they they gave him contacts, but they kept popping out uh, whenever he hit somebody, <laughs> and uh, that. You know, but I think it's because they just showed that over and over again. But just the intensity of his eyes and uh, and just the, the the passion he played with, you know, that's one thing the Bears are missing right now. They always they 
they used to always have that great middle linebacker, whether it was Butkus or Singletary or Erlocker. They're kind of missing that now, aren't they? Uh, well, they're playing the 3-4. That's probably why. But uh, they're <laughs> Maybe they should go they back to 4-3. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're trying. We're getting Freeman and Trevathan in there. But, yeah, you don't have that uh, that fearful presence in the middle. And uh, one more thing I just wanted to say about Singletary. I remember watching like a like a Sunday or Monday night game probably after – probably like 87, 88, something like that. And me just being a – a young kid had never seen this before, but he had Singletary had broken his hand the week before, and he was playing with it, just like this big, huge ball of tape around it. And I just thought, that, oh my gosh, this guy is a warrior. You know, it's probably the first instance I ever really saw that I recognized that as a kid. And he's out there, just you know, he probably had twelve tackles in that game, just playing with a a hand just full of tape and gauze, you know, with, that was all broken. And I just thought that was, I always thought that was awesome. It always just stuck in my stuck in my head there. So yeah, and and another thing, he was wasn't he from Baylor before Baylor was Baylor? He was from the University Baylor. I think so. I think that's where he played. <clears throat> I may be mistaken. I guess we can look that up pretty easy by Googling yep. it. But, no, uh, he is, yep. Yeah, and he that was before Baylor, yeah. Baylor, you know, before the Baylor program was, you know, the as good as it is today. Yeah. A long time um, ago when uh, when Nebraska used to play Baylor every year and we would uh, just count it in the W column. <laughs> yeah. You know, and one thing, sorry, one thing I should be brought up about Singletary is, is it's it's really unfortunate that his legacy is somewhat tainted by his coaching career. Uh, and to my to to my shock too, I think if I had to pick one player from my childhood that I thought was going to be an excellent coach, at least a solid defensive coordinator, I thought I would put all my chips in the Singletary basket. So, I, I, you know, maybe he wasn't meant to be a head coach, and maybe he emerged through the ranks too quickly. But I think, you know, if he would have been just a defensive coordinator for somebody, he would have been absolutely unstoppable. What, don't you think, Nick? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I am glad that he was a head coach, though, because he gave us a great press conference when talking about Vernon Davis. Can't win with him, can't <laughs> coach him. <laughs> yeah, he's he's kind of he's kind of turned into almost like a wacky old man, don't you think? As far as the way he talks and the things that come out of him. Yeah. Yeah, and that's unfortunate because I I I think that's that kind of that kind of hurts his overall appeal. But what, whatever he did on those between those white lines is, is what you know people need to remember and just yeah, easily the greatest number fifty of all time. Well, he was such a hard hitter that, I mean, the one thing that comes into my mind, I have no proof of this, but, you know, maybe, you know, too many hits in the head uh, is is the first thing that comes yeah. into me into my mind. Yeah, and and it's sad, you know, these days you can't joke about that, but that's, the you know, the first thing that I think. Yeah, and, you know, you know Ditka wasn't con- concerned and grabbing his face mask saying, oh, are you, are you okay? <laughs> it wasn't, uh, <laughs> yeah, really. That wasn't their forte back then, yeah. Yeah, it was a different time, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So before we, we get started, can I can I give you my impressions of the Super Bowl, just as as I Go watched ahead. it, just Go from a, from a gambling standpoint. Um, you know, I all when I hear everybody talk about, oh, you know, uh, Atlanta really didn't manage the clock very well, and this and that. Uh, never noticed that while I was watching the game, but in retrospect, yeah, that's right. Uh, the only thing I thought was kind of strange was it, it seemed like Atlanta was pretty much being true to the true to the Atlanta team they were the whole year in uh, in in uh, just keeping they keep going for it and everything like that and I didn't to me it wasn't that strange but as you look back on it it was strange uh, but you know the only thing that isn't strange is that's the way Atlanta played all year they never were really in. The, in the position to try to milk the clock, they were. It seemed like they won a lot of games by a lot of points, and the whole game, I was just thinking, oh, you know. And and I had Atlanta to win the Super Bowl, you know, a long time ago. I got them at seven to one, and I was thinking, oh, well, they're going to win the game. You know, it's just be interesting how close the Patriots are going to make it. And I ne- never had a doubt until the end of it, and 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 I actually felt sorry for the Falcons because this was their big time. But if you guys remember, when we picked the Super Bowl, I picked I picked New England simply because of the experience, and I think that played a big part of it, them always, always knowing themselves and staying in the moment, and Atlanta kind of starting to, to count their, you know, collect the trophy before the game was over. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, the experience, I think, ultimately won that game. Just, yeah, there's like no said, substitute stayed, for it. In the moment. Yeah. You, you hate to depend on it, but it always seems to come true. You know, last week, last year with the Broncos and the Panthers, the Panthers were there for the first time. And the Broncos, especially Peyton Manning, uh, had been on the big stage before, and they just seemed to know how to handle it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should we go over our picks for the Super yes. Bowl? How did, okay. How did we do? Well, we were all right on New England. I think you remember that I uh, I, I uh, tweeted to you that if New England won by three, if they kicked a field goal and, and uh, you know ended up winning the Super Bowl by three, then both the the uh, the line and the over under would have been a push on that game. That would have been something unprecedented. Yeah. But anyway, we all had New England minus three, and uh, by the virtue of that touchdown, um, we. Uh, we all won that, but then we all picked the under in that game, and we all missed that. Um, the first score of the game, um, Josh, you and I were right on that. Atlanta had the first score. Uh, the first turnover we all said was going to be a fumble, and we were all right on that. The longest touchdown, which was uh, – <laughs> I actually took this prop under 50-and-a-half, and, and uh, you guys both picked over 50-and-a-half, and I took under. Which was strange. It was that uh, that pick six that was the uh, uh-huh. that was the long touchdown in that game. Now that one lost me that prop bet, but it won me another prop bet because I that I uh, because I took uh, the prop that there would be a special teams or defensive touchdown in the game. So I was kind of uh, bittersweet on that one. If you if you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We all said we all said yes on the prop bet that Edelman would score a touchdown. You know the weird thing is last night. I was looking at all these bets, and I had to actually go back to the uh, statistics because it seemed like Edelman scored, but he didn't, did he? He, was, he? he played a big part in the game. Yeah, Amendola and him look too much alike. I always, I thought that too. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, the weird thing is that um, 
that uh, the the case we made for Edelman was the fact that he's get he gets so many chances he's bound to score, and we were right he did get a lot of chances he just never found the end zone. Um, we all said yes that Devontae Freeman would score a touchdown and he did. Um, Brady touchdown passes. I had to go back and look at this one too. He only had two of them. So, uh, Josh, you and I got the under on that, and Nick, I would have swore that you won that one until I looked at the stats at the official scoring. Um, would Ryan be intercepted? We all said yes, and that was a no. So I hit five out of the nine picks. We uh, five out of the ten picks. Uh, Josh, you were six and four, and Nick, you were four and six. So we were we were all bunched together right there. About um, how you would expect to come out if we used a dartboard. board. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, didn't you guys feel there was a – and I know Brady was under a lot of pressure in the first half, but there was some throws that he was just missing. And, and he, I just don't – I have never seen Brady like that. And, you know, quarterbacks miss throws here and there. But there was probably like four or five were like, wow, that was just not a good pass. And I just thought – Especially when it was twenty-one to three, I'm just like, oh my gosh, what is what is happening here? I just, I I wanted Atlanta to win, but but I certainly believed that New England could do it. And I I did you did you guys know what I'm talking about? There's especially a couple to Edmund downfield. Yeah, Nick, go ahead. Yeah, I, I definitely noticed that too. And yeah, I can only attribute it to all the pressure he was facing. You know, you got a guy like Grady Jackson landing on top of you over and over. That's that's not going to feel very good. That's going to get in your head a little bit. Yeah, I thought uh, I'm, I'm thinking one especially where uh, where Edelman was wide open could have been a touchdown, and we could have been right on that prop too. Um, but the other one, the pick <laughs> six he threw, I thought was very uncharacteristic. It looked to me like he threw it, tried to get it in between three guys. Is that true? Yeah, I don't. I didn't even see Alford when he threw that ball, and all of a sudden he comes out of that pile with the ball. Yeah, <laughs> I was kind of rooting for him not not to score on that one, but that's okay. We <laughs> we got that one. There were uh, there were some uh, interesting. I mean, I'm going to tell you the, the props I took and the ones I I picked the longest field goal over 47 and a half and. Maybe if they wouldn't have botched that last drive, the Falcons, uh, the, you know, Matt uh, Bryant would have had a 48 or 49 yarder, um, two point conversion. I'm going to go. I'll tell you what. I'm going to go right to the. There were a lot of uh, the, the books won money this year. The books won uh, 10 million dollars this year, almost 11 million dollars. Uh, the handle was 138 million dollars here in uh, Nevada sports books. Okay, and Josh, you asked me <clears throat> if it doesn't go up every year, and uh, you know you're you're right. It, ever since 2005, it's risen. In 2005, it was 90 million. Uh, you know, it went all, all the way up to, and it gradually went up to 94 million in 2006, uh, 119 million in 2014, 132 million last year, and that was a record. They just keep sitting, setting records. Uh, but this year was $138,480,000 was bet here in Nevada. Now, uh, win percentage wasn't so good. The last two years, it's been 16.5% and 10.1%. The win percentage this year was down to 7.9% in the books. So they didn't win as much percentage-wise 
this year. And the reason is that a lot of people hit prop bets. Um, let's see. Will the ball hit the upright? Say uh, the, the uh, sports director at Caesars Palace came up with that one. He, he put a prop up, will the ball hit the uprights on a kick? And, of course, you know, that uh, was that uh, extra point. Patriots kicker. Yeah, Patriots yeah. kicker hit it Just on a kick. The, yeah. Yeah, betters wow. pounded the yes on that one at Caesars Palace. Eighty-nine percent of the tickets were yes on that. That opened at plus four fifty, basically four and a half to one. Uh, Goskowski. So uh, Caesars lost of money on that one. A lot of money on that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, who cares about that? En- who cares about that one enough to bet no? Though I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> what? Do you, yeah. Who's betting no one? You know what I mean? It's just well, like, it seems like a pretty sure bet, but you'd have to you'd have to bet uh, like you know six bucks to win a dollar uh, on that one. Um, uh, another one. Yeah. The this is from the uh, Las Vegas Review Journal, by the way. I got to give them credit for this. Um, uh, one of the most popular prop bets was overtime. And the Super Bowls never hit overtime. It was seven to one, so a lot of people got the overtime bet. And I didn't bet the overtime because they were such high-scoring teams that I figured, you know, it, it, it's got to end one way or the other. Although I looked at that bet. Um, let me see. Successful two-point conversion. A lot of people were on that. Um, oh, another one that I that I usually bet and I forgot to this year is how many players will have a pass attempt. It's over under two and a half. So if anybody besides the quarterback throws a pass, then you win that bet. And uh, that one came out a winner this year. Who was that that threw that pass? I wasn't watching. I had stepped away. Edelman on the flea flicker. Edelman uh, on the flea flicker. And it was a a terrible play. Really? I did not see it. Yeah. He he missed him by a mile. And it's just – you could tell – Atlanta saw it coming. It was, yeah, it was, it's, I mean, I, it was a good spot to call it, but it was, yeah, it was, did not come off very well. Uh, I wanted to mention too, Nick, I think we mentioned, me and Nick mentioned it earlier, Chuck, for all our talk of, uh, well, Super Bowl passing yards, Brady smashed the record with 466. Yeah, we talked about um, that, didn't we? I, I would almost bet that he has the record for completions too. He completed 43 passes. On 62 attempts, which which crazy is though it didn't seem like he threw for that many yards, and I and the the longest reception was 28 yards by James White. So, you know, it wasn't. It's crazy to think that he threw for over 400 yards, but there wasn't like a you know a 70 yard pass in there or 70 yard 50 yard bomb. The longest passing attempt was or excuse me, longest reception was 28 yards, but he still threw for 466. Yeah, and wasn't most of that after the after halftime? Yeah, I mean a lot of it probably had to be. He sure didn't yeah. do, didn't do much in the first half. They didn't do much uh, yeah. as far as scoring in the first half, but they did hold the ball for a lot of that first half, which yeah, would they uh, did. lead to the passing yards. And it's too bad I can't I can't, I don't know where to look up to see what he did in the first half opposed to the second half, but. But like you you said, Josh, he was missing a lot of passes in the first half. Yeah. And the real strange thing to me, I mean, as I look back on it, is why didn't Atlanta run the ball more? You know, it could have had something to do with the fact that Coleman went out with an injury. 
and that hurt my uh, a lot of my prop bets. I bet Coleman to have over 33 yards in pass receptions, and I and I bet Coleman to have a, a touchdown, and uh, neither of those happened. So those were losers on my part. But uh, no I telling what would have happened. Didn't Coleman score a touchdown? I thought Coleman scored in the second half. I thought he scored the touchdown in the second half. Actually, I think you're right. He did score. Yeah, Col- yeah, Coleman did have a touchdown, but he didn't get over it. But it was all on the ground. I mean, they uh, they threw him a lot of passes. They they uh, handed it to him. You know, Coleman all season they've been using him as a pass catcher. Didn't use him a whole lot except well on the touchdown. It was a touchdown pass, but that was only like four six yards, something like that. But I didn't see him try to throw to him very much. Yeah, no, they must have taken him out. I don't, I didn't see that either. Yeah. Well, I saw him get hurt. He got his ankle rolled up on and left the game. The last they said he was in the, he was uh, headed uh, for X-rays in the uh, in the training room, in the locker room. But I never heard anything after that. They could, I'm sure they said something about it. It just kind of went over, you know. When the excitement of the Super Bowl just kind of went over my head, so uh, don't know what happened to him, but uh, they they probably could have used. I mean, you know, in the, at the end of the game when they kept going back to pass, at least they could have thrown to you know some running backs, and they, that may have taken a big uh, a big weapon away from them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, I think he's fine. He does not going to need surgery. I think he just needs rest, which is. Which is good since the season is yeah. over. That's that's what I read on Coleman. So, got the whole off season to to recover. And I, I he was on my fantasy team this year, and just loved having him on, having him on my fantasy team. Be interesting. How do you think their offense is going to change with Sarkeesian? Weird, weird hire. Um, so like, <laughs> you know, we just lost the super. Let's we just lost the super low. Let's go. Let's go hire the guy that just lost the college national championship game. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I go ahead, Nick. Were you going to say something there? Uh, nope, I was just chuckling. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. You know, I mean that that does have fantasy ramifications. I mean, do we count on Atlanta utilizing Freeman and Coleman the same way they did this year, or or is that going to change? That's that's going to be a real question as we head in and we look at uh, drafting. You know, those two uh, running backs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if I think he's only been at Bama for a couple of years, but Bama does always have, they always use a couple of running backs. They always have that breadwinner. And then they always have the, the guy that's going to be the breadwinner next year play. Um, but they, you know, they, they, you know, when Derrick Henry was there, they had Keon Drake too. And I, and uh, I think, I think, so I think, I think they could be okay if, if Sarkeesian does, you know, just try to implement that. I think that'll that'll help them. Um, I I'd be I'd be more worried about the passing game, but I'll get it. It is Matt Ryan, and they know what they know what he can do. And I I I read a little bit after the hire that they don't really expect the offense to change that much. Then you know he's gonna he's gonna bring his flair to kind of what they're already doing. So let's just hope yeah. they don't face the Forty ers in the playoffs. But they always say that, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know the way the way uh, the way Shanahan called that game. Maybe they they do want to face San Francisco in the playoffs. 
Uh, and Shanahan has said that he's going to hire an offensive coordinator, so he's going to ca- carry both of those duties. We'll see, yeah. we'll see how long that lasts. But. Well, the strangest thing to me, the only thing I noticed was why aren't the Falcons letting the clock run all the play clock run all the way down before they snap the ball? That was the one thing that I noticed yeah. at the end of the game, and uh, you know, a lot of and they did that folks the, around. It, Go ahead. I was going to say they did that the first half, the first drive of the second half. They did that, even though they punted. They they ran the ball. They very smartly used as much clock as they could, and then they just, after that, they just didn't do it. Like I said, well, Freeman had his maybe. tenth carry of the game, five minutes left in the fourth quarter. That's unacceptable when you have that big a lead. Maybe they thought, well, that isn't us. Maybe maybe they were uncomfortable with it, you know, and and it's something they got to get comfortable with. But maybe they were uncomfortable with doing it that way. Maybe they said, let's just yeah. go out and keep doing what we're doing because then if they would have lost, people would have said, well, you slowed it down and you lost your tempo and everything like that. I don't know. They're going to be criticized no matter what. I I feel sorry for them, um, but you know, it, it you've got to be in a couple Super Bowls before you before you get used to that situation. So, you know, I'm going to give him a pass yeah. or a run. Yeah. And I, <laughs> and I, I think too, it's just, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I lost my thought there, but yeah, you're going to get criticized either, either way. And they, yeah, they, I, I appreciated the fact that we're still kind of going for it. They were looking for that nail in the coffin just to make things out, you know, but ultimately, you know, they got sacked. It cost them field position and a field goal attempt a couple yeah. of times, I think. So, But, you know, it, it's weird. A field goal would have been a nail in the coffin too, you know, so you wonder yeah. why they, they didn't oh, yeah. just play for position there. But, uh, you know, second guessing is our jobs and their and their job is to play football, right? Yeah, I've heard people say after they got that uh, onside, all they needed to do was kneel down three times to kick a field goal, and that would have been just fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Oh, well. Well, the last thing I wanted to talk about uh, in this last you know, show before, uh, before next year, for me anyway, is, uh, is the odds for next year's Super Bowl already. They're, they're posted oh, yeah. at the Westgate, and the Patriots are 5-1. to one favorites to win the Super Bowl now wouldn't it have been nice to have the Patriots at five to one you know during the Super Bowl this year so if you think they're going to do it again you can bet it right now you probably won't get any better odds than you do right now yeah uh Cowboys are eight to one who's your who, who are you looking at next year Josh oh the Raiders they're going all the way Who the Patriots okay let's go down the list <laughs> to the Raiders oh the Raiders are 20 to one you can get them right now Ten bucks to get you two hundred. Uh, Steelers uh, are the uh, third favorite at ten to one, and then there's a group of twelve to one that include the Packers, the Seahawks, and of course the Falcons. Uh, so the Falcons are twelve to one to win it next year. Now, if they learn something, you, you know what I like? I like Dan Quinn. I, I love his demeanor. I love the way he answered questions, and he's the kind of guy I'd like to play for as a coach. Doesn't he? Doesn't he seem to be? Uh, you know, seems to be cut out of the Pete Carroll mode. Pete Carroll mold. Yeah, I think he's a little quieter than Pete Carroll, like a little bit more, a little bit more reserved. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I I like him too. I think he's I think he's good. I think he's good. I think what Atlanta's done over those last couple of years, bringing in some young talent on their defense. I think I think they do have a pretty bright future with Quinn with Quinn running that defense there. So I can't believe they yeah. 
fired their defensive coordinator like like it was his fault. They were out there for 99 plays. <laughs> you, they had to be getting tired. Uh, that yeah. that that's a lot of plays. That's that's got to be a record for plays in the Super Bowl, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. It was by far the most plays of any NFL game this year by one team. Yeah. So. Uh, Nick, any thoughts on what the Redskins Super Bowl odds? Oh, that's right. Uh, what are we, round 40 to 1, 50 to 1, something like that? 40, <laughs> you're exactly right, Nick. 40 to 1 for the Redskins. My Chicago Bears are 100 to 1, so, you know, it's going to be, I'll, I'll put 10 bucks on that right now. Yeah. Might as well. 10 gets you 10 gets you 1,000, right? By the way, the longest odds are the uh, 49ers and the Browns, 300 to 1. Bears, Rams, and Jets are 100 <laughs> to 1. Wow. Jaguars aren't on that list? Jags are 60 to 1. Hmm. As are the Chargers, Bills, Saints, and Lions. Lions at 61 wouldn't be bad. So, if you just put 10 bucks in every single one of those, well, maybe not the last three, but uh, <laughs> that's only, you're, you're going to hit one. Why not, right? I mean, one, one, one might make it all worth it. Unless, of course, it's, you know, New England again. But <laughs> Well, the great thing is if they make it to the Super Bowl, let's say they win the NFC, then you can always hedge it the other way and it can guarantee yourself a little bit of money. There you go. There you go. Speaking of that, uh, I mean, what a bad beat that was for the Falcons, right? An unidentified gambler lost $1.1 million on Atlanta plus three in that game. Oh. Wow. Another better lost but a four hundred and seventy thousand dollar money line wager on the Falcons. Wow. He he was probably <laughs> celebrating. <laughs> but with a guy that lost a million, I mean he bet a million bucks on just Atlanta plus three. I mean if you're betting that much you you probably have something to fall back on, right? Well it it's hundred and ten to it's it's eleven to one or eleven to ten, so he had oh. to bet one point oh. one million. So I mean just if they would if they would have pushed he could have got his one point one million back. I heard them talking with a sports book director here in uh here in Las Vegas and they said what if you know, and they were talking about the same thing I was talking about. If if the uh, Patriots would have won by three there, then both the uh the uh the line, the the side, and the over unders would have been a push, and he says we would have, we would have had a line a mile long at, at our windows with people collecting on bets that didn't even win. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, so, what do you guys think? Uh, New England and Atlanta play each other next year. It's, they just happen to have those divisions play each other. Should they? Should they do what they did last year and have a Super Bowl rematch that opening Thursday? Nick, what do you think? Oh, absolutely. I don't see why you wouldn't want to have that, uh, especially, you know, as hungry as the NFL is for ratings. What better tool to get ratings than a Super Bowl rematch in week one, hopefully in prime time? Yeah, and if it's at Atlanta, they could have it in the new Mercedes-Benz Dome. So it would be the first game in the Mercedes-Benz Dome, and it would be a rematch of the Super Bowl. That would be quite a – I don't. I don't know whether it's in New England or Atlanta right now, but uh, that would be I interesting. Think, I think. I think technically the Super Bowl winner gets to open at home, and they always yeah, play on right. Thursday night. So yes, you're right. Yeah, exactly right. Well, it'd be too bad. 
Anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, the Patriots, I understand the Patriots have a tougher schedule next year. Uh, maybe a good bet. That's probably why they're only five. Why they're five to one and not two to one. Um, I heard that the Patriots are going to play the AFC West and the NFC South next year. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yep. And the yep. And the yeah. uh, speaking of ratings, they're playing. They're playing Oakland in Mexico City. I'm not sure what week that's going to be, but they're playing <laughs> Oakland in Mexico City next year. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Maybe Oakland will just move to Mexico City, Josh. <laughs> Why not? The way things are going with this that. Las Vegas thing, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> uh, I'll bet Carolina would much prefer to travel to Oakland City than all the way up to Seattle to play a game, right? Uh, Mexico City, I mean, yeah. Oakland um, City. Did you guys – sorry, one more thought here before we go. Did you guys hear about – Deion Sanders came out and said that the Colts are stealing signals, have been for a long time. Saw something Did about that. that I didn't read the entire story. I I just had to laugh. I mean, the Colts won one Super Bowl. It's not like they won like six. I mean, who cares? Every team, every team steals signs, right? I mean, there's if, as long as you're not video. I think it's not illegal as long as you're not videotaping it and comparing it to film. So I. Yeah, it's like, it's like baseball when, it, when a runner on second will uh, kind of yeah. tip off the batter on where the pitch is going. That's just part of the game to me. That's not cheating. Yeah. Yeah, and if you, if you think somebody's stealing signs, change your signs. Use it to your advantage. I, I know. I know. Well, maybe maybe Dion was trying to make a point that everybody cheats. Yeah. Everybody bends the rules, I guess I should say. Uh, he's just jealous because he can't tackle. But anyway, Nick, did you read that article? <laughs> uh, I did, and, you know, I kind of agree with you guys. As long as they're not videotaping the signs, then I don't think it's really cheating. And if he was insinuating that they were videotaping the signs, you'd think he would have to provide some sort of evidence to back up that sort of claim if if he was indeed saying they were cheating. Yeah. yeah. And, again, it Again, it's the Colts. All due respect, they have one Super Bowl trophy. It's not like they're just been this dominant team for the last twenty years. You know, I mean, it'd be one thing if he said the Patriots were doing it. You know, and we know that they have gotten caught. They've gotten caught. I'm sure any other NFL team has done it in some aspect and just not gotten caught. So, uh, whatever, Dion. But anyway, <laughs> speaking of tainting your legacy. Um, that's all we have for you today. Uh, Chuck, as always, and I guess goodbye for now. Uh, we we totally appreciate having you come on. And Well, I'll tell you what. It's going, it's, uh, going down it's been, we, we need to have you back. It's been a lot of fun. Um, and I'll see you guys next year. You know, and until next year, a lot of you guys out there visiting Vegas, um, my uh, one of my employers is uh, Segway Las Vegas. We do Segway tours of Las Vegas, and uh, if you guys are looking for something fun to do when you get to Las Vegas, go ahead and give us a call. You can even request me as your tour guide. I'll be glad to take you around. Tell me that uh, you heard about it on the the Fantasy Show, and uh, we'll give you an extra discount. Okay, cool, awesome, Chuck. Thank you. Hey, have Nick, a have one, a great buddy. summer out there in Hawaii. Okay. I'm jealous all the time. <laughs> yeah, you take care out there in Vegas, Chuck. Always great having you on. 
Okay, man. Thanks, you guys. Have a great off season. Yep. Yeah, you too. All right. Like I said last week, too, we have tons of fun stuff planned for you. Um, now, now I say that, I don't have it in front of me. I think next week, are we doing the free agent draft? we got some work to do, if that's the case. Yeah, I, I, I do not have the schedule in front of me. I, I don't have the schedule yeah, okay, in front yeah. of me. I'd have to look that up. <laughs> yeah, so next week we're doing a free agent draft. We did this last year. Uh, I think we should go go at it IDP-wise this year too, Nick. I don't think we did last year, so we'll add that to the mix here. So we're just going to we're just gonna have like a 10-round kind of back and forth uh, uh, mock, if you will. So we'll each uh, – do we do 10? Let's do seven. I think let's do seven. Let's do eight. We'll do eight. I said I said it here first. Eight, eight players. We're each going to draft eight players. So we'll go back and forth. Draft sixteen total players, guys who are free agents. We're going to do it before the free agency period, so some of our picks aren't null and void the second they're happening. And then we're going to get into uh, division by division uh, reviews and previews and uh, draft needs and whatnot uh, going up to. Uh, up to the NFL draft. So make sure you stay tuned for that. This has been the Dynasty Pulse. We will not miss a beat and be back next week for you. Uh, I don't have a dilemma. I'll get it for you. Uh, Talk to you uh, next week, Nick. Sounds good. Take care. Lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.